Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. It's good to see each and every one of you this morning. I do trust that if you're a visitor, you enjoy a time of teaching of God's word together with us, worship of Almighty God, that you enjoy a time of fellowship and that you hear the gospel message. If you hear the gospel message and it strikes you in the core of your being and you need to speak to someone, please do come and speak to and Jabu is left. But Jabu, who was up here doing the announcements earlier, or come and speak to myself. Uh, we'd love to speak to you about salvation. This morning, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, you can turn in your Bibles. Uh, Acts chapter 17, we're not looking at the whole chapter, just a few verses, from verse 10 through to verse 15. But I will read from verse 1 so that we've got context, really. From verse 1 all the way to verse 15 is kind of a tight section. Uh, They go together, these two cities, the one Thessalonica and the other Berea. And uh, we will explain that as we go through the sermon. But maybe to say, what we do here now is part of our worship. This really is part of, in fact, this is the high part of Christian worship. As we come to the reading and to the preaching of God's word, we worship God with the faculties of our minds, even as our hearts are stirred by his spirit and our lives are conformed to his will. And so it's very important that we take this as a spiritual exercise. That's why some of you get so tired (laughs) during preaching. It's because there's a spiritual dynamic to it. And so to that end, let me start us off by bowing in a word of prayer and committing this time to our Lord and our Savior. Let's pray. (coughs) Father God in heaven, your word has revealed that the flowers of the field are like men and the 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 grass of the field are like men and the flowers are like their glory. The flowers fade and the grass withers, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. This morning, Lord God, our desire is that we would stand on your ever-standing word. It is faithful and it is true and it is altogether sufficient for all matters of life and godliness. We profess this with our mouths and believe it with our hearts Lord God, would you use your word by your spirit to renew our minds and stir the affections of our hearts and transform our lives from one degree of glory to the next that we might be conformed as a people toward the image of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, these things we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and the name of your Son and to the glory of our Father who is in heaven. Amen. Well, friends, I I hope that you have found the book of Acts. It's in the New Testament. First come the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. And I'm going to be reading from chapter 17 of the book of Acts, beginning at verse 1. Hear the words... Of God. 
Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as was his custom and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out into the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken some money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. That's the background. Now we come to the passage of Scripture I'll be teaching from this morning, verse 10 to verse 15. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Just so far in the reading of God's word. Amen. This is the 11th week of a series through the book of Acts looking at how churches grow biblically. Now, it's been a series that's been cut in half and caught and divided all over the place. I think the last time that I preached from Acts was back in November, and then we had Christmas, and then I had a bit of holiday, and I was gone for a while, and Pastor Charles kicked the year off. But now we return to the series, How Churches Grow. We are a conservative, evangelical church. Traditionally, evangelicals would be considered P 
people of the book, Bible churches. But the modern evangelical movement is ignorant, (laughs) ignorant in general, but ignorant of the truth of God's word in specific. A Bonner report, this staggered me. I read this last night. A Bonner report says that 82% of those who call themselves evangelical believe that the Bible teaches God helps those who help themselves. Now, while that might be a wise statement in some contexts, it is not a biblical statement. 53% of evangelicals could not name the four Gospels. I mean, that's like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's Sunday school stuff. 58% could not name half of the Ten Commandments. Now, go home over the lunch table and test your own family on this one. 58% could not say that Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. This is staggering. 52% did not know that there was a book in the Bible called Jonah. That's the one with the big fish. 48% did not know that there wasn't a book in the Bible called the Gospel of Thomas. Now, there isn't a book in the Bible called the Gospel of Thomas, but 48% of those who are polled that self-identified as evangelical didn't know if it was in the Bible or not. There's only 66 books in the Bible. They didn't know if this one was in or out. Evangelicals are ignorant. And ignorance has left the evangelical movement gullible, emotional, and man-centered rather than wise, inspired, and God-centered. Evangelicals really search the scriptures anymore. They do not know what they contain. They believe in Christ, but they have no biblical anchor for their convictions, for their daily living, for the doctrines and theologies that they say they hold to. This morning, we are introduced to an evangelical church, a Bible church, a church which is built solidly upon the rock, a church which is anchored to Scripture, a church commended to us as a pattern to follow, a sure path to tread. Read with me the beginning of verse 10 in your own Bibles. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Can can you sense the urgency in the word immediately? In the previous verses, Paul and Silas had preached the gospel in Thessalonica. And a great many had come to believe, but jealous Jews formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And now Paul and Silas are on the run. They travel from the large port city of Thessalonica, population 200,000, to the sleepy town of Berea, population 
6,000, about 50 miles, uh, 85 kilometers away. Berea was practically a lifestyle estate for the aristocracy. Wealthy, military, political, and educational leaders would retire there. It's a little bit like Hermanus or Nisner or Port Alfred, but even smaller. Is this the chapter in Acts where we learn biblical principles for vacationing? (laughs) Are Paul and Silas about to check into the local Airbnb, put their feet up and take some time off? Is it time for a little bit of apostolic (laughs) R&R? Take a look at the end of verse 10 in your own Bibles. And when they arrived... They went into the Jewish synagogue. Paul is nothing if not predictable. Nothing if not tenacious. Predictable because his pattern is always the same. Damascus, Jerusalem, Salamanus, uh, Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Philippi, and Thessalonica. Paul goes first to the synagogue. He is a man on a mission. He has to preach. And his first target audience is always his own countrymen, the Jews. Tenacious, because every time he goes to the Jews, he runs into opposition. But he goes anyway. Violent opposition. In Damascus, Paul's life was threatened. And again in Jerusalem, He was persecuted and run out of town in Antioch of Pisidia. Paul faced possible stoning in Iconium. He was beaten with rods and imprisoned at Philippi. And in Thessalonica, Paul's life was threatened and he was again run out of town. Jesus had said to his disciples, when they persecute you in one town, Flee to the next. The disciples seem to have interpreted those words as not so much run from harm for their own safety's sake, but run and find a new opportunity for the gospel's sake. And so the gospel fled from Thessalonica to Berea. But will they face scorn, beating, and martyrdom there? Take a look in your Bibles, the first half of verse 11. Now the Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Luke describes the Bereans as noble. Now this is a play on the word noble. Indeed, the the citizens of Berea were of a higher class than those in Thessalonica. They held higher status and were well-born, high-standing citizens. But Luke isn't referring to their social status. He is commending them as being nobler of mind. Not smarter, more tolerant, with a better ability to inquire into the truth. They were open-minded. They were noble-minded. How were the Bereans noble-minded? Let me offer you three ways 
They received the word eagerly. They researched the word daily. And they responded to the word humbly. First, they received the word eagerly. It says in verse 11, the second part of that verse, they received the word with all eagerness. The word receive means to accept deliberately and readily, with open arms and minds and hearts. And the term relates to to welcoming an honored guest and meeting their needs with kindness. I love having people over. Often in conversation, even with some of you, on the spur of the moment, I will ask, would you like to come over to our home for lunch? Maybe next Sunday I will offer. (laughs) And then I'll walk away and forget to tell Liesl. (laughs) More than once. (laughs) More than a handful of times. Honey, I will say as we are driving home from church the next Sunday, (laughs) honey, I'm not trying to get you cross. (laughs) But so-and-so is coming over for lunch (laughs) with their whole family (laughs) and a few of their friends. Liesl, more often than not, will receive the news with poise. (laughs) There's no poise for the Thessalonians. They received the word with all eagerness. The word here is the gospel message in all of its fullness. The the word of God, the word of truth, the word of life, the word of the gospel, the word of the cross. Paul would have proclaimed the same word that he had taught in other synagogues. That the Old Testament prophets spoke of Messiah. That Israel would reject the Messiah. That the Messiah would die for the sins of man. And that the Messiah would rise from the dead. And that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. The fulfillment of prophecy. Paul would have pushed them for a verdict called on his hearers to make a choice. Accept Jesus as your Messiah and receive the free gift of salvation or reject Jesus as Messiah and face the coming wrath of God. The Bereans were more noble-minded. They received the word eagerly. Look at the next little bit. In verse 11 in your own Bibles. Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Second, the Bereans were more noble-minded. They researched the word daily. The Bible. They went to the Bible. Not to a book about the Bible, not to a sermon about the Bible. They went to the milk of the word. They didn't judge Paul's sermon by his eloquence. They didn't judge Paul's teaching by his humor. 
They didn't judge Paul's proclamation by how interesting his details and facts were. They judged Paul's message by whether it was true or not. The, the Bereans sifted through the Old Testament because that's all they had and concluded that Paul's gospel proclamation was truth. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all Old Testament promises. Those who honestly examine the scriptures will always come to that conclusion. As Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. For if you believed them, Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Friends, the Bereans were of more noble mind because they researched Scripture, the Word, daily. Verse 12. Many of them, therefore, believed. With not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Third, the Bereans were more noble-minded. They responded to the word humbly. The therefore here is a term of conclusion. Here is the climax of the story. The, the result of them receiving the word with eagerness and researching the scriptures daily is that many of them believed. They believed. Have you heard the gospel message? The same gospel message as Jesus commissioned his disciples to preach to the ends of the earth? The same gospel message that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost? The same gospel message that Paul took to the Gentile world? That Jesus died for the sins of the world? That he rose after paying the price in full, triumphant from the grave? Good. Now, do not be a hearer only. Be a doer of the word. God commands you to repent for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus sent the disciples to preach that the people should repent. Peter preached to the Jews, repent therefore and turn back that your sins might be blotted out. Paul preached to the Gentiles that God commands all people everywhere to repent. So turn. That's what repentance means. Turn away from your sin and turn to God. This gospel call is to the whosoever will. You'll note in the text that there were not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. The gospel humbles, nobles, and raises up the downtrodden. The gospel is salvation to Jew and Gentile alike, male and female, black and white and everyone in between. The rich and the poor, the young and the old, you and me. 
Amen. Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are laden, and I will give you rest. And elsewhere he said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes, I will never cast out. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Friend, come. Come to Jesus, and he will give you rest. Do it at once. Do it today. Do not delay. The Bereans were more noble-minded. They responded to the word humbly. Now we come to the end of the story, the last three verses, verse 13 and following. Read with me in your own Bibles. But when the Jews... From Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also. They came up there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. That's it. That's the end of the story. Paul and Silas came to Berea and preached the word and people got saved. They experienced persecution and they left town in a hurry on the run once again. Zoom in for a moment on verse 12. Many of them therefore believed. In every age to the present, the gospel triumphs. The gospel triumph is connected to our devotion to Scripture. This shouldn't surprise us. The relationship between church growth and Scripture has been our constant theme as we've been looking through Acts. Remember Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 souls were added to their number? The beginning of church growth, the beginning of gospel triumph, the next thing Luke records is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Remember Acts 6, when a dispute arose that threatened the unity of the church? Part of the solution was that the apostles would devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Churches grow as we devote ourselves to scripture. There are three simple principles we've already identified in this text that I'd like to apply in closing. First, our devotion to scripture must begin by receiving the word eagerly. We've considered the word receive and we've considered the word. In our context, we receive the word on Sundays as we sit under biblical preaching or during the week in small group Bible studies. 
But what if you don't presently feel very eager about either of those two activities? I'd like us to think just briefly about a little eagerness. Where to find it if you haven't got it? First, pray for eagerness. Eagerness to receive the word is a God-glorifying prayer request. You're asking God for something he can give you, and you're asking God for something that surely he wants to give you. So ask the Lord to stir the affections of your heart that you might be eager. Jesus said, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Second, be discipled toward eagerness. If you want to grow this year in any spiritual trait, find an old man or an no, older man or an older woman, someone who's been exhibiting kinds of qualities that you desire and be discipled towards the image of Christ by them. Paul said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Find someone to imitate. Third, engage in biblical community. One of the purposes of being in a biblical community is to stir up in one another to love and good works. So come to church and get stirred up to God's praise and glory by God's people. Fourth, keep your eye on the prize. The goal of sitting under God's word on a Sunday or during a midweek Bible study is not to get smart, to fill your head with stuff. The goal of sitting under God's word or sitting in a lesson is to know more about Jesus. Jesus is the prize and he is worth eagerly pursuing. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of the faith. Second principle, the first was receiving the word eagerly. The second principle is our devotion to Scripture must be manifest in researching the word daily. How can you be a better researcher of God's word? First, pray. On Sunday mornings when you wake up, all studying of Scripture, meditation upon Scripture, memorization of Scripture, the reading of Scripture should be grounded in prayer because these are spiritual activities. And so pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit will guard you against error and guide you into truth. Pray for the preacher, the sermon, your small group Bible study leader, the lesson. Ask God to come down in power. Ask the Holy Spirit to descend upon his people that we might be taught, that we might be reproved, that we might be corrected, that we might be trained for righteousness. Second, guard your Saturday evening. If you're up all night on a Saturday, I can assure you that you are going to struggle to stay awake during the Sunday sermon let alone test anything that is being said. I mean, I see your eyes, guys. <laughs> you can't lie to me from up here. 
So get to bed at a reasonable hour and wake up with time to spare to get to church to learn and grow. Third, open your Bible and keep it open the whole way through the sermon. Some of you are feeling a bit guilty right now. So sorry about that. <laughs> right now, is your Bible open? I don't care if your Bible is physical or if it is digital, but have a Bible open in front of you and test everything that your pastor says against it. After the service, if you don't have a Bible, I've got two options for you. On the notice boards, a little bit later in the morning, I will put up uh, posters that has the ESV app that you can download straight to your phone. And if you want a paper Bible, come and speak to me or come and speak to Jabu, and we will do everything we can to procure one and get one to you. Or if you want a study Bible, (laughs) come and speak to us. We can tell you where you can go and buy a really good study Bible. Fourth. Attend a Bible teaching church and go to Bible-centered studies. If I'm going to take Liesl out on a date, she's going to spend, particularly because we need a Pretoria and we don't know where all the good places are, she's going to spend some time making sure that we go to a good restaurant where the food is excellent. Make sure that you're feasting on the Word of God and the teachers who serve it up well. Unadulterated without any addition, without any subtraction. If we are to grow as a church, and if we are to look at these principles around growing by being devoted to Scripture, if the first principle is receive the Word eagerly, if the second principle is research the Word daily, then the third principle is friends respond to the Word humbly. Our devotion to Scripture must result in us responding to the word humbly. The Scriptures mainly teach what man is to believe about God and what duty God requires of man. As you learn about what God's will is and what His way is, walk in it. Humble yourself. Be transformed by it that you might live out your life to his praise and to his glory. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, I do thank you for your word. It is faithful and it is true. Lord, it is sufficient for all matters of life and for godliness. By your spirit, would you teach us your word Would you renew our minds, stir the affections of our hearts, and transform our lives to your praise and to your glory? These things we pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.